hey, my daughter Rebecca isn't in the studio anymore uh, the way she was last week, so we can really let loose. The swearing will be fast and furious like the eighth sequel to that movie series. So send the kids out of the room and we're off. You buy stickers? Like yeah, there's a great sticker. sticker yeah, I have, a, I have a real great sticker collection going on. So you on. are nine, but you're getting married. I'm a permatween is actually the you're technical per- term. Got it. Hello, Jews and others. This is Unorthodox. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Hello. Firmly ensconced in the second place in the announcements. Thank you. I appreciate it. And coming in third, senior writer Leah Leibowitz. Happy 14th day of the Omer <laughs> to everyone <laughs> counting at home. I feel like you should be counting on for Thursday when this airs. Happy 15th day of the Omer. What happens? 16th day what of the Omer. 16th day <laughs> of the Omer. No, but this would air in the morning. So happy 15th, right? Tell us what happens People on the us all week. 15th day. Oh, my god! We gosh. have no idea. On you the don't, 15th you don't day of Omer, my child. <laughs> Good uh, to me. Our Jew too, not surprising. Our Jew of the Week is Danya Schultz, founder of ARC with a Q. That's A-R-Q. That's all you need to know. We're not even going to tell you what else it is. O-M-G-A-R-Q. A-R-Q. I-R-L. And our Gentile of the Week is Michael Knowles, who is the author of the book Reasons to Vote for Democrats, A Comprehensive Guide, which is just a big blank book. Uh, so what's up? Can we have an update from the... The BS, the bridal Guys. Show. Guys. I want to say it was an amazing day. Okay, set the scene. Okay, where, so, where are we? First of all, where, yeah, where we're is at it? the rooftop of the Nomad Hotel, okay. all class. So right, it's um, right near here. Right near here. So yeah. it's airy it's and it's airy. sunny. It's, no, it's like raining and it's fine. What is everyone wearing? Oh, they're like they're like uh, sundress best. <laughs> okay. It, it's like lady chic. Can I interrupt say whatever people say, what are you wearing? I think of the Todd Solon's movie Happiness where Philip Seymour Hoffman That's is very, the very obscene troubling. phone caller and he's like, <laughs> what, are you, what are you wearing? Anyway, Mark, well, don't ruin my bridal shower yeah. memories. Don't talk about masturbation. Okay. Stephanie's trying so to talk about a bridal so shower. Good. So bridal showers are amazing because they're basically like the Oscars, but all the speeches are about you. <laughs> it's actually like, like a wedding, except the speeches are instead of being about you about and Ben, yeah. they're yeah. just about That's you. That's going to be like a bit of a letdown when I'm like, Wait, but more about me, please. It's like, it's like the Oscars and you are race relations. Like everything is just it's like, like the Oscars and now. I'm, I'm Moonlight. It's like the Oscars That's except right. she wins every award. I win every award. Every award. I find out like what everyone really thinks about me. No, you don't. No. Oh, you absolutely <laughs> don't. You found out. No, I found out exactly what everyone really thinks about me yeah. in the nicest way. Uh-huh. Um, no, it was amazing, and it was it was so fun. And my grandparents came up. Grandpa Al gave a speech. Grandpa, he does Al. not miss a bridal shower. Everyone, he was like, <laughs> and I'm glad no one really asked me what I'm doing here because I know like men aren't supposed to be here. It's true. He's like, everyone's been really nice about it. See, like when we were fighting the Battle of the Bulge, let me tell you what we didn't have in mind. Tiny cupcakes. Oh my god, the cupcakes were so tiny, so delicious. <laughs> but okay, I have to say the biggest surprise. Um, came towards the end where my aunt Pam and Stacy got up with my sister and I was sort of like, what's going on? They seem to be like preparing for something. And all of a sudden my sister hits play on an, on an iPhone and I hear Golem. Like I hear our theme song. Our bumper music? Our bumper music. And I was just like, what's going on? What's going on? And I see sort of people like looking around in recognition like, is that, is that, is that the theme song from the podcast? Basically what they did was they put on Unbridled. Um, my sister played you, Mark, and she did everything. She did the obscenity warning. She's like, golly, gee whiz, oh wow. Okay, stop. <laughs> my how, aunt Stacey played on, you. Hold on, how, how, does, how does Franny channel Mark? She First did, of all, she has, she has good hair. This so will this, be Stephanie yeah. channeling Franny channeling, channeling Mark. Right. Mark. Okay. She did a very like wholesome all-American mm-hmm. like dad vibe. Yeah, but what is the method acting? Like what, what are you what are you imagining you get into, when you get into character? You get into I, character? Look, I can't speak to her methods of method acting, but it was really <laughs> great. And then so Stacey got was you, Liel. Like, like 
Fuck yeah, BB She's like, Shalom, Shalom, uh, <laughs> CC. And then my Aunt Pam was me, which was amazing because she was basically like, Sup, why, why do you say my name second? Ira Glass Ceiling. And I was like, Oh, damn. <laughs> and I got some great listener mail played aloud at my sh- bridal shower. There, there were some very enthusiastic uh, listeners calling into that thing. Uh, well, who did you pose as, Jake? What do you mean, pose as? We had nothing yeah, to do with it. Yeah, we had nothing to do with Jacob. it. But I, but I heard that there was a caller named Zach Goldfarb. Zach Goldfarb. Who may have some... Who sounded a lot like Woody Allen with really bad constipation. <laughs> Zach Goldfarb has a cat named James Taylor. Like a cat's tail, get it? I just start cracking up. And there were a few people from work there. And it was just, we were all just like lost it. And I was like, is Mark Oppenheimer like at my bridal shower right now? Wouldn't that have been a great reveal if the curtains at the gnome on the roof of the nomad parted Leal and I had just been there all along? And I was like, guys, you are not invited. <laughs> work, we need a work-life balance. <laughs> um, but it was amazing. Thank you guys so much. Mazel tov. I'm officially a lady. Yes, you are. <laughs> Today you are a lady. Today. Did they like tie was no, the hat? No, no and present the... opening. Very. So here what was funny was when, when Sid's friends did one for her, Sid is so not into that stuff. Yeah. And yet they did that thing where they made her wear bows on her head yeah, or they, something. Yeah, it's or... awful. It's like which, well, then you're one step away from that stupid dollar dance at the wedding. What's do you know that? about this? Is it the Mazinka? So do you know about the dollar dance? Leo? I know about the dollar dance. You do? What's the dollar dance? Do you really? Yes, I do, Mark. What? I think I do. Are we talking about the same thing? Well, tell me what you think it is. Uh, it, mine involve garters. No. Okay, then we're, we're, we live in very two diff- very different worlds. And it's the bachelor party. No. So, and there at, are a lot of those this is, dollars going around. This is very, it's not really no, the bride, no, 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 but, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is a very delicate thing because this is, there, you know, America does have a class system. We don't talk about it. We don't give people lord and lady titles and stuff. But, you know, there are markers of it. And some of them right. have to do with where do you go to college and some have to do with like, do you know, you know, what clothes like do you know or how much gold plating is there on your toilet yeah exactly yeah. like that the fact that that's low class or in high class mm-hmm. is a kind so at certain weddings they of a lo- our relatives wouldn't do this you don't they know my put, relatives I actually I'm, no I'm, crap you do i do actually <laughs> they put the man wears like a blazer and there's a dance where all the ladies have to like pin ten and twenty dollar bills on the blazer what? while like circling I love him. This. And basically, it's you know, it's like it's to stake you. It's like you end up with a blazer with a thousand dollars on it, and that's like you're down. You know, it gets it's your it's your security deposit for your apartment, or it pays for your honeymoon, or whatever. And so it's a way to like, you know, in I had never I was at one wedding once where they did this, and I was like. Oh I, my God! What I, is this? I want to go to there. Yeah, I like it a lot. That is amazing. And it's it's like the weddings where they also play the funky chicken, mm-hmm. and there's a whole like lower socioeconomic white class wedding. You pin bonds, thing. you know, yeah. stock, yeah, option. <laughs> I only want Israel bonds. I need the dollar, dollar, dollar. That's what I need. For the second year in a row, a Jewish pitmaster emerged victorious. Not the same Jewish pitmaster, but last year one Jew won the barbecue contest of the five boroughs no brisket king nyc and this year another a different jew truly idleman of of crown heights of izzy's brooklyn smokehouse truly truly took home the golden calf trophy from the brisket king nyc competition um last year of course Wait, Ari, is it really a golden calf i mean that's, that's what freaking that's hilarious what, that's what it Added, says it's kind of great last year ari white from the wandering something took home the title but this year, Shruli. The Wandering Q? Yeah. The, is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. So this a year, great, a great Ari handed his crown off to Shruli. So apparently, not only, not only do we control the banks and the film, and and but the brisket. It's not even like a kosher barbecue competition. Like this was against right. the real, the smokers. Is that what they're called? The smokers. You know, like they- like, In the smoker the scene. The bad kids. 
the smoke like, the, uh, like the smoking in the machine. Back of the pit. Yeah. They have a smoker name. Pitmaster Shirley. I just feel like we're, this is something great that we have going for us. It's like, it's very metaphorical, right? It's like America, we could all unite over this tough cut of beef that takes hours <laughs> to soften down. This is America. And a lot of time to chew. Um, in other news of the Jews, we have a story about the Turks and the Armenians. The Turkeys. The Turkeys. They have, there are two genocide movies out right now. One is backed with Turkish money and one's backed with Armenian. What was the well, story? Well, one has... Um, Oscar Isaac and the other has Josh Hartnett. That's and the, the most one, important and another, thing. Another, uh, another distinction. One is actually based on historical <laughs> right. fact and the other is a Turkish fantasy that right. there was never any yeah, Armenian so the genocide. Jo- Josh Hartnett somehow got that. sucked into so like the, Turkish, the funded... Turkish funded movie that whitewashes the Armenian genocide. Which, by the way, is so charming because you could totally tell this on like big time Armenian financiers like, you know who I want for my movie that there was never Armenian genocide? You know who is Hollywood Dreamboat? Josh Hartnett. <laughs> Do you remember him with movie and Julia Stiles, they were all that age. I want that kid. No, they saw him in Virgin Suicides and said, that man. That 40 days the, and 40 nights. That is the man. Like, I was he's so pious. Days. What's also yeah. great is it said the director of the movie like isn't doing publicity for it, which means about three quarters way through the shooting, he's like, holy cow, I'm whitewashing a genocide. I had no holy idea. Cow, he this opened about a what? history book and was like, huh. Okay, it's like that the SNL skit of the the Pepsi ad the, where he's like, wait, so this is a bad idea? Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't count on your actors to know your politics. Let actors look, act. Let politicians I politic. I believe Oscar Isaac knew like that he was going to be. He's in like, it's a, a go, like he's a in very, the good movie. he's in a good, good movie, movie, but it's like a tough, intense movie. Right. The best part is that, that Armenians are all going and giving the, the pro-Turkish movie or the anti-Armenian movie like one star on IMDb and vice versa. Like, By the way, this is so profoundly idiotic that I'm shocked it doesn't involve us. Like that is such a thing <laughs> the, that Jews would the do. The Jews have nothing to do with it. Is Oscar Isaac like, Jewish? That's go, the only way it have No, anything. he's Guatemalan. Oh, so yeah. we have nothing to do with this. No. We didn't fund it. <laughs> we didn't well, he was in the Cohen, the Cohen Brothers movie Inside Lewin Davis. So right, he right. basically is Jewish. He's basically... <laughs> by, yeah, that's by right. Him and that cat are both Jewish. It, ru- it rubbed off yeah. on, on him. He's a serious man now. Um, but, you know, on, on a serious note, uh, yesterday was the was the anniversary. Uh, it was Armenian Yom HaShoah Day. Um, and I think it's time more and more and more of us not yesterday only acknowledge it. Yesterday was also Yom HaShoah Day. I know. So we, we share that. Um, and I think we should we should not only, you know, commemorate that, but actually exert pressure on governments uh, of all sorts to, to, recognize. to make that an international recognition. Do you have any pull with the Israeli Fuck government? Turkey. Um, Are they going to come around on this? We've written about this before. I think they're making they're making steps. They, yeah, they we have had an issued. editorial on tablet saying yeah. that calling no, on them. Mm. But the craziest thing is like that Kim Kardashian has emerged as like the most powerful Armenian American. Like it's so actually crazy. And so she went to the White House Correspondents Dinner a few years ago, and someone was like, "Kim, what issue are you concerned about?" And she was like, "And you would expect her to say something, you know, like Kim Kardashian." But she's like, "You know, recognition of Armenian genocide." That's right. That's right. Wow. And you're like, amazing. damn, yeah, good yeah. for her. And All it's right. like this weird. They're the new yeah. Jews, only hotter. Yeah. Does anyone have a live show coming up or a live thing? Are you speaking anywhere, Stephanie? Someone Liel? the other night was like, "It's Monday night. Isn't some? Isn't Liel speaking tonight? Yes, Are you going?" Liel and I was did. like, "No, did I'm you speak? not going." I spoke, and let me tell you, I was terrified. Where was it? This was it the... was it was at Yeshiva University yeah. Museum, uh, and in the audience uh, was was a woman I admire tremendously. Ruth Weiss. I knew you were going to uh, say Ruth Weiss. Who absolutely, I, was so, I which was terrified me, right? Because yeah. I, I don't want Yiddish literary scholar yeah. Ruth Weiss. I, I don't want to fuck shit up when Ruth Weiss in the audience because she will smack you down. I've smack heard her down. She will smack you. Yeah, no, she, has, also, she will. I've also it's heard amazing. she can drink anyone under the table. She's one of two living human beings who can outdrink me. There are only two people. Is alive. the other big round? Yes, the other is my father. And of the three of you, who are drunk together. You, the bank robber, and the Yiddish scholar. Listen, she is hardcore. 
You know that I time that Sunday book. style section, like out to lunch. What's the? It's like a table for three. Liel, <laughs> uh, Ronnie ta- Leibowitz, under the table with three. Yeah. We would like to welcome some new subscribers to our newsletter this week. It is the law firm of Jack Newsham, Marshall Neil Fetro, and Joshua Handelman. But we're going to talk about Jack Newsham. Who is Jack Newsham, Stephanie? So. Jack Newsham is actually from the Newcom family, mm-hmm. the, the the sport you play in high school. The volleyball with a, in the a volleyball, squash court. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And he was just like, I don't want this to be my legacy anymore. Like, I want to play volleyball. So he changed his name. I think the Newshams <laughs> um, visited Jerusalem uh, some time ago and, and were, were very, they, they were called something completely uh, different then. And, and they were really not impressed with Yad Vasham. Uh, and so they're like, you know, we need a new Yad Vashem. And it was and, shortened and over time. So it was just Nusham. Nusham. Uh, they're proprietors of a, a Pittsburgh-based Holocaust Memorial Museum. And the um, people who control the competition ladder in the local volleyball league. Of course. If I may. I mean, that, the, the two <laughs> often In go. Squirrel Hill. <laughs> Which Barry Weiss's father plays in regularly. Yeah, of course. Um, to get the newsletter, sign up at tabletmag.com or send an email asking for it to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your free podcasts. Uh, rate us on iTunes. Please, please, please don't miss an episode. Also, recommend us to a friend. As we discussed last week, you actually are um, thwarting genocide by increasing our fan base. Yeah, it's um, one of the surefire way to do it. Yep. 300 more listeners and Syria is going to be just fine. Just fine. Yep. Our Jewish guest this week is Danya Schultz, who is the founder of ARC. And let's just get started. What is ARC? ARC is a lifestyle brand and community. I'm ah, ready for you, Liel. Lifestyle <laughs> um, brand. Lifestyle ah. brand and community inspired by Jewish culture and open to anyone. All right. Now, what does that mean? Wait, can so, we just can yes. we get it out there again that ARC is ARC with a Q? A-R-Q. Yeah, it is A-R-Q, A-R-Q. And it is not all caps. Capital A, lowercase r, lowercase Q. I like that. Yeah. I'm, I was more afraid it was all lowercase. <laughs> Frankly, no, that would be awkward. That was my fear. No, it's a strong brand. <laughs> Capital God. I. Um, what is the question? What is the lifestyle brand? What is ARC? What, no, what, what does it what? do? How does it what work? What does it do? Um, we help anyone connect with Jewish life, Jewish culture, Jewish identity, Jewish religion in a more contemporary way, which to me means relevant, inclusive, and convenient. All right, so I'm on the couch, right? And I'm yes. like, you, you know what I'm in the mood for? It's like Soul Cycle or Judaism. I'm, I'm going Jew. Uh, I log on to arc.com. Uh, what, what's my next this step? This is arc.com. I, I, I download the app. <laughs> you didn't get arc.com? Someone else is No, it's like it's a sci-fi movie. Uh, what's, <laughs> so what am this I, is what arc.com. What am I buying? What, what am I buying? What am I doing? Um, what, as what of today, then? you're not spending any money, but we can get to that. I like that already. <laughs> yeah. Take build me. your audience first. Um, no, t- as of today, it's mainly content, which to me is the most inclusive thing. So anyone can read anything that arc produces, anything from... A wedding guide to an interview to stuff to eat in Berlin, like where to find the best bagel, Jewish deli, whatever. Um, and also, we do events. And in the future, we'll do fi- like physical products. What are, what are the events like? Um, we just did a Shabbat dinner smack in the middle of Pesach um, that was 100% vegetarian, which is weird because I eat brisket and you know all the other good Jewish meats. Um, but I felt like... Let's hop on the wellness trend. It's a big thing, and it's nice when there's like a good trend happening. Um, so we did totally vegetarian. Um, had live storytelling, 
you know, inspired by Passover, people shared stories of freedom and liberation, um, including one guy whose dad immigrated from Bangladesh, worked at the Straits Matzah factory and supported their family, and <laughs> they all became best friends. Um, and we did an Afi Komen style raffle. Um, so people won a whole bunch of fun stuff, including pins that say Oy Vey. Um, and, and so who, who, who am I if, if I'm coming to that dinner? What, what, what do I want that I don't find elsewhere? And, and what am I getting from you? Um, a few things. So first of all, it's, you know, mostly I would say... I'm not asking hypothetically. I'm, I'm asking about myself. Who am oh, I? Oh, who are you? Okay, let's <laughs> no, let's rewind. Let's re- I have a few questions for you then. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So who are you? You are probably Jewish, um, but you might be the non-Jewish partner or friend of someone Jewish. And you are looking for a way to participate actively in something Jewish that feels like it's integrated with the rest of your life. So for me... And synagogues have betrayed me. JCCs well, have disappointed me. Well, how do you even find a synagogue, right? Like, in New York City. Yeah, that's hard. No, I'm just saying, like, how do you know which one to go to? You don't have a friend who goes... Like, I feel like... We're, you visit you're, you're... a bunch of them the same way you find the right soul cycle class for you. Like, that's right. Aaron T. Right. And so you visit all of them and then you decide, like, none of these are right for me. None of these are in my neighborhood or none of these feel exactly right for me and my partner who's from a different background or this isn't my vibe. Like, it's too formal or X, Y, Z. Like, it just doesn't feel integrated into things I'm already doing. So when we did our spring Seder, we had it at like this beautiful kind of airy, pretty health and wellness center deep in you've Brooklyn. Said, you've said wellness at least twice now and maybe yeah, three Yeah, that times. was this event. Okay, so yeah, I hate the word wellness. Let's, let's be, like, we're going to be honest, Randy. Like wellness, oh, do it. wellness sounds to me like, like I don't even know what it's, it sounds like branding talk. Is branding bad? Um, it depends what you're branding, right? Or let me put it this way. Well, branding talk is bad because it usually is pretty content free because usually yeah. like branding talk is supposed to not offend anyone and attract everyone. And so it often tends to make the fewest possible claims, be the least precise, and and I think therefore have the least potential for real meaning. I right? see the so word I branding and I raise you the word content. <laughs> you, you just described a bad brand because no brand is for everyone. So any brand that aspires to be for everyone so well, is so for well, everyone. So is Judaism for yeah. everyone? Um, well, no. Not for, not for the non-Jews. <laughs> no, it's not for everyone. <laughs> but no, isn't well, the it point is of art to kind of bring too, it to, just, to just, everyone, make it accessible? It is to make it accessible, but in a very particular way. So if you're not into going to an event that's not strictly kosher le Pesach, on a Friday night in a place that you probably have to take the subway to, it's not for you. So how that's is this, okay. How is how are the ARC events? So it sounds like you do a lot of events. That's yeah. is that a fair way to say like yeah, what ARC does? You throw it. events. Okay. For sure. And so um how are they different from what you've described to me a lot of what Reform Judaism does, which is it's open to the intermarried, it's open to people who have a lot of theological skepticism, who may right? Like how is it different from what the events at the Reform Temple near you would be? Can I jump in this? I've actually I was at the ARC launch party. Um, which, and the, and oh yes, God, I'm getting to the second one because I was like a life changer. <laughs> but so I went to the ARC. I've, I've known Danya for a little while. I we I went to the ARC party. It was very like hip and cool. And I felt like in a room that like Jewish funders would go nuts over. Like this was the unaffiliated, upwardly mobile. Like you have this like these people who are interested in Judaism don't know how to connect. Like for some reason it was like a focus group of just like but, what we've been tr- after as communal ju- like for from the communal Judaism. But now playing the role of Leah Leibowitz, Mark <laughs> Oppenheimer, take it away. <laughs> Leah loves the episodes where like I'll say the things he yeah. wants to say. Like I know I'm, tar- I'm, I'm, I'm turned around. I'm, I'm yeah. like, so proud. So, so when proud. I think when I think of like. What one of the things Judaism is, is good at as a, a you know 
as a communal structure, and it's uh, it's a lot of things. It's a history. It's a people. It's a theology. It's a it's claims about the truth. It's stories. But when I think about doing community, part of what I wanted to do is bring me in contact with the elderly and the poor and the different. Like the idea that I that Judaism would be about, hey, let's target the cool and the attractive is gross to me. And yet I feel that's what a lot of I'm, I'm getting that vibe. You can tell me I'm wrong about that. But that's like yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, I will, it's the going. it's the reboot shit, right? It's the like, we're going to find hip, cool, cool pe- people who are beautiful, people who can be. And like, actually, what I think God calls us to is to like spend time the with the guy people. with a kasha in his beard <laughs> yeah, the who reminisces about Menachem Begin. The people who aren't cool and beautiful are just as, not that they're better or worse. I don't mean to sort of exoticize anyone, but it's like that we're all equal. Like the party should feel as comfortable for the elderly and the uncool and the unimportant as it does for the like dot com douchebag. Okay, two things. So first of all, you actually bring up a question that I've been thinking a lot about and don't have the answer to, which is um, based on something that a – I want to say she's a minister, um, Unitarian. They're ministers. Yeah. Okay, minister. Um, said to me, which is that our congregations, religious congregations, the last multi-generational communities. I don't know what the answer to that question is. But when she said that to me, I was like, you know, and like how do we not lose the wisdom of – all of the people in our community, the community that I grew up with, the people who have knowledge from years past. So, like, I don't have the answer to that yet, but it's something I'm thinking about. Um, and I want to just take it back a little bit to answer your question. So the reason ARC even came to be was partially selfish and personal. Like, I just wanted something that felt like it spoke to me and was integrated into my daily life and didn't require me to to go do something that didn't feel like me, whether that were go to a neighborhood that wasn't where I usually spend my time or um, spend time with people who didn't feel like my friends or people that I would hang out with most of the time or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, But then on top of that, I read the Pew study and it said that, you know, of all the people who are doing the things that freak us collectively out, like not keeping Shabbat, not keeping kosher, intermarrying, yada, yada, 96% of them care about being Jewish. And so as far as inclusivity goes, I am interested in creating something that allows that 96% of people to actively be Jewish in a way that looks and feels like them. The question is, who are they? And the way I'm trying to figure that out is by starting with a product that is aesthetically pleasing and that feels contemporary and that is truly like a consumer brand that attracts people so that I can then ask them, because I'm independent with no agenda, what is it that you want and need? And then provide it. All right. So there's a, a substantial part of me that that is actually really thrilled to hear this because because you do seem very sincere and because I do believe 100 percent that you really care and and because I do think uh, that anything that brings anyone closer to you know this is is blessed. But on the other hand, <laughs> on the other, things were going so well. You know, <laughs> you know and and this is the first just, three dates were really good. He was like this stuff. Yeah, and then, then he started like, talking about his ex-wife. It was and, crazy. and do you do know that I'm still married with seven <laughs> kids? Right. Um, this is something you know that I think Stephanie actually kind of brought out. We're talking about Stephanie today. The, yes, today's yeah, show is all about Stephanie. Mm-hmm. You know, this sounded like oh, the, the funders would go crazy, <laughs> the unaffiliated crowd. But 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 here's the truth. The truth is that there is a tremendous wealth um, of, of an actual religion that survived for many, many, many years uh, by uh, having people uh, worship, uh, pray, and study. Uh, all of those things are more available now than they ever were. Uh, so my question, and, and I do mean this in earnest, isn't there something 
kind of cheapening about this attempt to say you don't really have to do any intellectual or spiritual effort you just have to kind of show up and and we would kind of take it from there i mean if you want to be jewish you could really still be jewish like you don't have to do like a soul cycle version of judaism and I say this with so much love for SoulCycle, you can't even believe <laughs> He actually SoulCycles. Yes. He, he does. Yeah, I, I do. Julie, do you? I've literally never done SoulCycle. I know I, what it is I, only I, it from... It's amazing. basically Judaism on a bike. That's right. <laughs> only from Kimmy Schmidt do I know what SoulCycle is. Yeah. Truth and wisdom Guys, with sweat and darkness. It's synagogue. Yeah. It's synagogue. synagogue. I didn't make that up, but I regret it every day. Um, so I would argue with the premise of your question. I'm not not asking anyone to get deep, but what I am trying to do is actually create a door that people are willing to walk through who aren't right now. And so how do we create an opportunity for people who might actually believe in God today or five years from now or who might find something really beautiful and totally practical in Shabbat and want to do the full thing, 360 degrees, but not today because it's like so not here. So it's a gateway drug theory. It is a gateway drug. Um, And... I have no judgment. If you want to come in and you just want to read the articles and you never want to go beyond that, that's fine. What What's fascinating is what you are doing and what you're so openly saying you're doing is basically rebranding Judaism for a specific type of young person who may feel disenfranchised by the traditional Jew, Jewish form. There was an article in Bloomberg Businessweek about ARC and about you. And, 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 and wait, wait. And the article, which I'm looking at, says the, the subhead is, a new take on the culture is light on the Bible, heavy on the bubbies, which actually is not what you are because That's the bubbies true. aren't allowed That's in right. because they're old and displeasing well, like aesthetically. Nostalgia for <laughs> I mean, my grandma didn't use the there. internet. We had a light switch in her bedroom <laughs> that when you turned it on, it would turn on her computer it. and then Gmail would just pop up. Do you think people are put off by this idea of like you going and you're saying, yeah, I'm, re- I'm branding. I, you come from the branding world. You come from the marketing world. You obviously were you know, very successful there. Is is there something sort of like sacrilegious almost about saying like, yeah, I'm rebranding Judaism? I think if that's all it is, then yeah, it's like kind of silly. Like you can't just slap pretty things onto something super deep and meaningful and say like, great, we fixed it. Everyone's going to be interested. Um, I, again, like coming back to my own experience, grew up going to like kosher steak restaurants in New York and looking out the window and not seeing whatever was across the tree because it was like midtown, but imagining what was in Soho, thinking like, ugh, like why am I sitting here in this like super dark restaurant with like ugly velour chairs? It's kosher, but that doesn't mean it has to be uncool. And I have been feeling that forever, which is not to say I haven't had amazing Jewish experiences. I've done it all, like Jewish camp, Jewish school, and I love it all. Um, But to start by making something look and feel more attractive is not wrong. Um, And it is clearly going to speak to a certain set of people, but I think it's a pretty broad group of people Mm -hmm. who can appreciate good design, which today leads to trust, good internet, which is like bare minimum. And if you look at a lot of Jewish websites, they're not reaching the minimum. Although, of Um, course, and and this is is why I really want to have this conversation again in five years. I mean, the question remains – are these the kind of people, I mean, if, if I'm the kind of person who's like, I wasn't going to be into Judaism, but they have a really good website and the design is really my sensibility. Uh, and, oh, all of a sudden I'm reading Pirkei Avos and I'm like, I'm totally like deeply, like to, to me, if you don't care enough to seek this out, then I, I don't care I, enough about you. Well, you know? I don't know. Chabad I mean, doesn't like you. <laughs> look, look, here's well, the thing. Chabad is actually, I think, doing but you know what, great Riel- by, by doing the anti It's like, here's what this is. It's very inclusive. It's very warm. It's about Judaism. You want it? We'll deliver but it to you. 
to be fair, in like the most like Hamish way. There are people who get pulled in by really good singing, by good chazanut, right? Which is an aesthetic experience and, and are turned off when it's done badly. And so, and that's the gateway for like people have different gateways. That is fair, right? There are people who, if they walk into a space that feels beautiful sure, according but, to their aesthetics, yeah, they're filled with a sense of, they're filled right. with a sense of awe I'm, and they want to read I'm the not, books. I'm not arguing for ugliness, but I'm saying there's, there's a difference to me between, hey, let's make a really great kosher restaurant that will feel cool. And hey, let's Spin- rebrand Judaism synagogue as, as such, you know? So ARC came out of your own personal experience, but also I, I think um, from your marriage experience. Would you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that? That was a beautiful segue into your husband's not Jewish. <laughs> tell us about that Ooh, big non-Jew you married. Tell me that six-two yeah. muscled so guy tall. named He's Thor. He's six-three. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah, I married a non-Jew. It was a really big deal. Um, I, I... It took us a long time to figure things out, and um, we did go to like a super sing-songy minion in Park Slope, and um, like three other services. We went to the Cane Street Synagogue, which was around the corner from our old apartment, which felt a lot like where I went to Shul growing up, um, and just like nothing felt right for us either because it was too dumbed down for me because I grew up in a community of all Yale professors giving Divrei Torah. Um, or it felt totally inaccessible to him because there was like zero transliteration for anything, let right. alone translation. Um, and so we actually started Pop-Up Shabbat, which was one of the precursors to ARC, which was this pop-up restaurant that we did on Friday night every couple months, deep in Red Hook, different chef, different theme, et cetera, um, together. And he was, worked- he was down with that. A hundred percent. He was like in charge of the kitchen. He's the he was the kitchen He's guy. You're like, hey, Thor. You know what we should do on Fridays? We should do pop up Shabbat. And he was like, Yeah, yeah. Well, I did the first one myself, and then he came and I was like, You have to help me do the. So next he's one. married to a professional Jewess. I mean, he is. He's he must be pretty down with Judaism. He's totally down. I mean, he has. I do not ever expect him to convert unless he came no, to it himself. I know but... who this guy is because I know these guys. He's yeah. one of those guys who never converts, but he's like literally in shul every right. like like. 10 years from now, the people you're in with won't know that he's not Jewish. And it'll be this thing he pulls out. He'll be like, you know what? I never even converted. He does have a Jew, bro. I know. I know. I have like an actually very serious question because this is is a – I think this is actually – you're now hitting on a point that's like supremely resonant and actually not being met that well by most of organized Jewish communities. So give us the kind of the five, the ten, the three – you know, commandments of of what to do when when one uh, partner is Jewish and the other is not, how to maintain – a, a household and engagement that feels right for everyone. Mm. It's it's a yeah. you know it's a small question, right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't mean to sound too woo woo, but like if you can't get right with yourself first, it's never going to work. So, you know, when we started dating, dating is a strong word. We were like seeing each other, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just like blurted out one time, like you know, by the way, just so you know, um, raising a Jewish family is really expensive between Jewish day school and Jewish summer camp or whatever. So like, you'd be making a financial commitment. Like somehow in my head, I felt like I needed. I was like, how can I make this real to this guy in a way that like might scare him off? But okay, that step is step like, one. Yeah, show show like a balance sheet. <laughs> right. Wow. So 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 that was me not really being ready to have the right conversation. Conversation, um, but fast forward, we actually made time to sit down many times throughout the course of our relationship to talk about why is this important to me. And by the way, it forced me to answer that question right. because I couldn't articulate That's a great it. Point. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, and and he he challenged me not because he didn't 
believe that I believed what I believed, but just because he needed to hear, like, really, I need to understand why this is important to you. So you have to get right with, like, your own priorities and values. I was, like, fake kosher when I met him. I was kind of just doing it because that's how I grew up, but I, like, wasn't real. I was, like, half kosher. And so he said to me, like, if you're not really kosher, can we just, like, be done with this loophole weird thing? Um, And... I was not okay with that for a long time, and now I'm like a really big fan of shrimp, and it's fine, and I'm still super Jewish. Um, but that, <laughs> I thought that, that's didn't we all think that story had another end? Yeah, which is like, <laughs> was like we're all like, so I had to get serious now, about it. Yeah, no, you're like, no, because like, it made me realize that's not what made me feel Jewish. But the things that made me feel Jewish were having Shabbat dinner, spending holidays with my family, um, thinking about raising Jewish children, and what that means in like every way. So. You have to, like, first figure out what you yourself want if you're looking from the Jewish perspective. He was really self-assured, so that was helpful. He knew what he wanted and didn't want. Um, And then the only other thing I can say, because there's just no way to, like, promise anyone that it's going to work out, is that if you can get a – this is with any marriage, I think. If you can get to a point where you feel like you've talked about everything enough, you trust each other enough, you've shared enough of your values that whatever unknown comes up, you feel you can handle – Great. Like, if we have a kid, what happens if it's a boy and all of a sudden he or I am like, shit, I don't want to do the circumcision thing? Or what if he thinks about his dad, who grew up in eastern Tennessee, Baptist, went to church every Sunday. Andrew didn't. But what if he wakes up and he's like, oh, my God, I'm a dad. And my dad's not here and I want to be more religious. Like, I don't know. We're already married. We just had a kid. We're going to have to figure it out. You know, but I trust that we will. So that's great. Yeah, that's my answer. I think the thing is, like, for all this, like, worry, I've said this before, worry about intermarriage, it actually forces young people to have these conversations. Like, I don't necessarily know how I want to, like, any of, I don't know the answers of those questions because I'm marrying a Jewish guy and I probably can punt this until we have kids. But, like, this idea, there isn't, there is this difficult conversation you have to have at an earlier point. And I think you need to articulate your own Judaism in a way you wouldn't have to if you were just marrying like another yeah, although, reformed although Jew. Although I think I think that the point Donnie is making is is actually crucial. Like you have to care first. Yeah, I think yeah. I think a lot of people probably don't. They're sort of like, eh, you know, whatever. It's not a big issue for me. But but if you do care, then I completely agree that this is a you know this is a wonderful process to go through. And then yeah. that arc spawn from that, I feel like is is a real yeah. like this like it's girded in. See that 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 very... works that works in my mind. So can I just add one more thing that speaks to your point about yeah. like, you know, who are these people and thinking about my husband and how this is partially for him. It's everyone from the woman who emailed me who said she's dating a guy who's modern Orthodox and she was like totally, she's Jewish, she was like totally not educated before and now she wants to learn more because she's with him and somehow came across ARC and this is perfect for her. It's for the Muslim guy from London who emailed me and said, I'm friends with a bunch of Jews in London. Um, I appreciate all the like interfaith stuff that you include here. Like keep doing what you're doing. It makes me feel better. And it includes like my mom. You know, and all of the people that she shares arc with. And that's totally cool, too. And there's stuff that they'll, like, laugh about or smirk at or whatever. And that's fine. Um, But it's really for anyone. All right. Danya Schultz, um, anyone who's interested in arc can check it out at thisisarcarq.com. Thanks so much. Arc. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Danya. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.
Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Guys, another treat, another visit from Noah Mosband, who last week, um, you know, regaled us with serenaded. Hitler. Serenaded us with Hitler. What did you call Hitler. him last week? You called him the, some, the, the resident ukulele genius, the yeah, rug. Yeah, called him the rug. The rug. Um, yeah, he's back with, with more. I don't know how he can top Hitler the vegetarian, but I'm excited to hear. Well, funny you should ask. Funny <laughs> you should ask. Funny you should ask. Um, who here has ever had the experience? Who here has Probably ever had me. the experience? Probably me. No, go on. <laughs> of you see somebody and you're really kind of crazy about them. And every time they walk by you, your heart gets a little bit fluttery. And you laugh a lot at their jokes. And you, you're crazy about them. But they don't feel the same about you. Oh, definitely me. Yep. Cool. Do you, uh, can, can I get you just? You don't have to say names, but like, just tell me. Like, when? Tell me one time that happened. Tell me how it felt. Uh, it was Molly Yeh. We interviewed her a few weeks ago. <laughs> she thought of herself as just a guest, but in some future life, when I move to the Midwest and start eating meat, and you know, she's going to be cooking it for me. You're not going to listen to this episode with your wife, are you? My wife doesn't listen to the show, so I can say anything. That's actually that's actually why I'm saying that's it. How we, like, that's how we have this podcast, uh, Leal. How about yourself? Uh, pretty much every single interaction with every woman from age uh, 12 until I got married. I should also say that H. Allen Scott and I had a thing. Yeah, I mean, but I'm he was str- reciprocal. I'm straight. Mark's using but that- this, po- this podcast as like a way to sort of meet, meet someone. Yeah, that's right. That was reciprocal, though. So as I like to say, you've been Ava Braund. So for those people who don't know, Ava Braun was a German photographer, first half of the 20th century. In the early 1930s, she did a photo shoot with a rising young politician named Adolf Hitler. And they became an item. They became a couple, and they were a couple for the rest of their lives. Now, here's the crazy fact about Eva Braun. This is actually true. The German people did not know about Eva Braun until after the war. She was kept a secret. The same way that when John Lennon was on the Ed Sullivan show, they didn't say he was married. Right? Like Hitler was a boy band, he wanted to seem more attractive to people. So she was kept in the shadows. We know from letters that her family is writing her and writing each other, like, he is never going to, like, make this real. Like, he's stringing you along. You're a side piece. It's like, girlfriend. (laughs) But she loved him, you know? She loved him. So Hitler would never let them be seen in public. The only time they were seen in public was the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Now, we know Hitler cared for her. He said in his writings that except for his dog, Blondie, she was the only person in the world he could trust. But he wouldn't let them be seen in public. And that's sad, you know? And say what you want about the politics of Eva Braun. And I have a lot of feelings about the politics of Eva Braun. I don't agree with them. Maybe with some of the politics of animal cruelty, as we discussed last week. But on the whole, I do not agree with Eva Braun's politics. But she deserved love, right? Everybody deserves love. And it's in honor of her love. And it's in honor of her heart. And it's in honor of the fact that it's her yurt site coming up this week. 
that I am going to share with you the ballad of Ava Braun. Ava Braun never let on what was going on in her mind When she proposed to Adolf for the hundredth time She know how it go that he'd only say no Then go back to committing war crimes Oh, we've all felt a little like Ava Trying hard just to find the other person's favor They love all alone, but in public go home No changing cold-hearted behavior Ava Brown never let on what was going on in her mind When she proposed to Adolf for the thousandth time But he was just a man, she was not in his plans So alone out in public she died Oh, we've all felt a little like Ava Stuck with a partner who is a diva kind that won't admit the love in public some kind of boyfriends are evil truth is though song has a happy ending song has a happy ending true love is weird and mysterious right true love can be your sweetheart who you met on the playground in fourth grade and you're a couple your whole lives and you die three days apart in your 90s That can be true love. True love can be somebody that you see on the subway, right? For two years, they're on your commute. And finally, one day, you get the balls, you get the ovaries to walk over to them and say, hey, and it blossoms, right? A New York miracle. That could be true love. So on the fateful day, we know, we know that they spoke to a judge. In accordance with German law, they acknowledged that they had no non-Aryan lineage. Then they sign their marriage certificate. Marriage certificate still exists. It's in the National Archives in Washington, D.C. You can look at it online. Now, here's a historical fact. We know that Ava Braun signs the marriage certificate. Ava B. crosses out the B and writes Hitler. Ava Braun never let on what was going on in her mind When Adolf proposed to her that final time it was just for a day but that was okay cause true love takes its time oh true love Ava Braun had true love for her Adolf true love is real mighty fine oh true love Oh, I feel so happy now. I mean, (laughs) True Love wins. Dr. Noam Osband will be performing at many places in New York City in the coming months. You can learn more about them at noamosband.com. All 
Our Gentile this week is calling in from L.A. He is Michael Knowles, the managing editor of The Daily Wire and the author of Reasons to Vote for Democrats, a Comprehensive Guide, which, spoiler alert, is a blank book and a uh, wild bestseller. Welcome, Michael. And also Thank my, you for having me. My favorite. You're using my, author in a very uh, loose way, but I appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. It's my favorite new book. You should know that. I make my kids <laughs> read it every night before bed. <laughs> So my first who question, your, who was your editor when, on this book? Who took you through the second and third drafts, Michael? <laughs> you know what is incredible? Because we uh, are done by threshold editions, the second edition, you know, out of Simon & Schuster, there is an editor, and it's actually the, the same editor who does, like, Rush Limbaugh's books and Mark Levin's book. I think Threshold actually did one of President Trump's books. So we had a very, very uh, high-level talent editing completely blank pages. <laughs> so when did you realize that this thing that you had sort of started as a gag was like actually being bought by a lot of people and getting a lot of attention? I, when the checks started rolling in. My head around it. And did you self-publish it at the beginning? I did, yeah. I, I, I wish that I could take credit for some genius, you know, marketing plan, but it really was a joke that I uh, put up there so that I could send it to my left-wing relatives and friends and, you know, kind of get a rise out of them. And within four days of putting it on Amazon, it became the number one best-selling book in the world. And my jaw hit the floor, and then a few days later, I was able to lift it back up. Um, but the, the situation kept getting crazier, ultimately culminating in a, a presidential endorsement of 250 blank pages. What did that feel like, Wait, so by that's, the way? That's that Trump sent out a tweet saying, yes. this is incredible and huge. Buy it. That's right. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Michael, don't In pretend you haven't memorized the tweet. What did the tweet say? The, so there were actually two. Whoa. I had gone on uh, Fox and Friends again. This was, this was to talk about the second edition from Threshold. And uh, uh, apparently the president was watching the program <laughs> because I had I'd mentioned something about how the first 90 days of his presidency showed that the previous eight years was a, a failure with regard to foreign policy. He quoted that statement that I'd made. He said, so true. And then he tagged Fox and Friends. And about three minutes later, he tweeted out and said uh, something along the lines of, this is a great book for your reading pleasure. Reasons <laughs> to vote for Democrats by Michael Knowles. And so what happened to sales after that? <laughs> it's it's amazing because we had sold when I had just self published it. We had sold I think eighty five thousand copies or, or even more, um, which is a you know pretty good number for uh, for you know no words. And we at that point, uh, multiple big five publishers asked to buy the book. So I, I could not believe that, and it went into auction. Simon & Schuster buys it, and they issue their second edition, you know, even more concise than the previous one. So how much did it go for at auction? How much did you make at the auction? I, so I'm contractually not allowed to uh, give exact numbers, but I will tell you, it is shocking, obscene, and sizable. It is in the seven, <laughs> it is in the seven figures, right? It is, if we did not hit seven figures uh, of an advance or, or anything like that, but we... Uh, we, we we did pretty well. So what's your big uh, what's your big purchase? What's your big sort of self back rub <laughs> purchase with this lucre? It, it's real. I actually haven't figured it out yet. I I do love cigars. It's my favorite hobby. It's my favorite oh my God. sort of vice because the body is a temple and the temple needs incense. So I did uh, after the book sold really well. I did smoke a 
very nice 2006 Cuban Cohiba cigar that was one uh, indulgence after uh, after the book sold. You, sir, are a great American. So he, here's here's a, a, a question. You know, I'm a big fan of Daily Wire. My question is this. What do you find humor to be like in this, um, quite frankly, hilarious world of, you know, progressive, just just apoplexy of like, it's enough, like I'm talking about this things like this recent Earth Day, like, it's time we stop politicizing science. Hashtag the resistance. Hashtag not my president. <laughs> you know what? What what is a state of conservative humor like these days? You know, one one thing we complain about, especially the Daily Wire, is that conservatives can be total philistines when it comes to the culture. Usually, you know, all we care about is campaigns, and the left is always great at the culture. Right now, we're in this weird moment where conservatives are are winning the culture. We are really, you know, clever and incisive and mischievous on the internet. You guys are the national lampoon. And and you know the other side is the funny. I'm missing this entirely. I I know you you are. Of course you are. But I'm actually totally I'm not aware of any funny or interesting conservative discourse on the web at all. I'm I'm aware of thoughtful conservative discourse, but I I'm not aware that they're here's, funny. Here's yeah, one really also, funny thing. No, he's a man yeah, who published like, a book called "Reason was to Vote for Democrats," uh, and it's all black pages. <laughs> guess, That's yeah. super funny. I think funny. I think that is funny. I think he's I, and I good all, all the power to him. But like the idea that like the funny culture is now being produced. I mean, I haven't seen the evidence it? for that. Like, yeah, what's the examples? Well, I think the example, the place you see it, is all in the new media. We've got these guys. So I have to be on like, Twitter to know? You do. You have to be on okay, Twitter. Okay, that's enough. You have to be okay. on Reddit. To me, Reddit is like troll. Like, to me, Reddit goes very quickly to, like, alt-right territory, which, like, I get they've been great at the internet. I know that's probably not what you're talking about, though. So how do you cons- how do you separate, like, okay, the like the trolling of the alt-right and sort of that internet culture with, like, what you're saying is, like, actually smart conservative discourse? Yeah, I mean, the, there are there are these gradations that we have to be aware of, and obviously the the, the extreme left has this too. The trouble with uh, the the alt right is it's a little hard to separate how much of that phenomenon during the campaign were actual you know white nationalists, neo Nazis, and how many were uh, robots, you know, were sort of bot accounts that were coming from various campaigns, and how many were just right-wingers being mischievous who don't believe anything. And, and I don't know, you know, my pal Ben Shapiro was <laughs> my the... My favorite, uh, nihilist right-wingers. <laughs> <laughs> nihilist right-wingers well, who that, think that pretending to be white supremacists are funny. That's reassuring. That, that's that, great. That's class. Isn't this those know, guys from The Big Lebowski? <laughs> the German nihilist. <laughs> so one final question for you. You are a 26-year-old conservative. What are, like, yeah. the stereotypes and misconceptions people have about you? <laughs> like, what are we picturing right now? And what do you actually... like? Well, they think he's a cigar, oh, I, sm- a wealthy cigar smoker. I know. I just, I just copped <laughs> the cigar smoking. I think 40% of he's, the shoes I own are Sperry's. So I don't know. I mean, I think a lot we of... We actually have no people, misconceptions. They're all true. <laughs> that's right. No, you know, I think um, the, the real misconception... I mean, uh, there was a headline that ran in The Onion, which was that Republicans maintained the... Uh, the vote of youth who look like old men, and you know, you know, some of that, some of that may be true. But I think the real misconception of Republicans and of young Republicans is that uh, people who are conservative or more traditional in their thought or what have you are uh, ignorant of science or sort of uh, or ignorant generally, generally, you know, unintelligent, unintellectual, not not searching for ideas, and that idea is is totally absurd. You probably see this in the uh, 
disdain in many corners of the left for religion and, uh, you know, the culture of Athens and Jerusalem that has created Western civilization. Thank goodness. And, uh, thank goodness we have a thrice married lapsed Presbyterian to lead us all back to religion. <laughs> God, so God works in mysterious ways, I'm so ways, glad Mark. we replaced that faithful husband, father of two. It's all upwards <laughs> from here. Hey, thanks a lot, man. We appreciate we appreci- it. It's a good book, and I wish you low taxes. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you very much. A pleasure to join you all. Bye, man. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone who wants to add to Michael Knowles to keep continue lining his pockets, can, sure. you can buy Reasons to Vote for Democrats on Amazon and where all, all blank friends. books are sold. <laughs> Hey, let's do the mail. Um, lot of letters. So we've been letting them pile up. We read all your mail. And don't ever think we won't get to it just because we haven't gotten to it yet. I mean, we won't get to some of it because some of it's not as good. But a lot of it is good, and we still don't get to it. But let's get to these. Hey, J. Crew. Belated fun fact on the subject of 420. I happen to be a Jew who shares Hitler's birthday and Israel's birthday, the 5th of ER. <laughs> oh, my God. That is like a real... Oh, my <laughs> Lord. <laughs> oh, the irony. Anyway, I just wanted to say that I'm a huge fan of the podcast, and this new episode was among my favorite 18th birthday happenings. Yours, Miriam Ross. Every birthday, I hate myself a little bit. 18th birthday. Welcome to voting age, Miriam. We hope. Uh, let us know how can how can we become the thing among your 18 year old set. Wow. I guess, well, that maybe we are. Is, I, I'm curious yeah. that it's like Hi, my birthday Miriam. is because first you'd be like, oh, it's 4:20. That's like kind of annoying and funny. But then you're also like, oh, actually, it's Hitler's birthday. That's and then like you're my like, first it's my birthday. Right. Um, okay. From Jay and Barbara Lerman. We've never been motivated to email a podcast before. Hey, guess what? Not, neither have any of us. And we do love your show. But we feel compelled to write after last week's episode. The Rugs lyrics, that was resident ukulele genius Noam Osband. The Rugs lyrics were absolutely outrageous and offensive. It may be admirable to try and find the good in everyone, but to in any way equate a carnivorous diet to Hitler's atrocities? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Perhaps this guy can get a job as the opening act for Sean Spicer's news conferences. Jay and Barbara Lerman. Jane Barbara Lerman, there's a great book I'd like to recommend to you. It's called Reasons to Vote for Democrats. <laughs> Check it up on Amazon. It's great. Sorry, Jay and Barbara Lerman. Noam was funny. He was really, really funny. And the problem is with you, not him. Can I, say, Mark. can I say that to Feisty. our listeners? I feel, I, it is like, I'm sorry, but the greatness of our people, among the greatnesses of our people is we can find humor Mark in anything. Mark is excommunicating you. Um, hello, Unorthodox Podcast crew. I've been a regular listener of your show for nearly a year now. I work in a limnology lab at my university where I spend many hours at the microscope sorting sediment samples at aquatic insects. <laughs> sorry, I just... I would like to extend my gratitude to you for preventing me from losing my mind from all of those hours staring down a magnifying tube into a tray of sand or a petri dish full of bugs, even if I do appear delirious when I laugh out loud at random times while listening to you. Your podcast has made me recognize and take substantial pride in my Jewishness, and I've also come to notice that I fit many of the stereotypes, such as making puns and calling my mother every day. Special shout out to Liel for your cynical nature and dark and twisted humor, as I find myself relating to you most of all. With much respect, Anna from Boulder. I don't think we've ever stereotyped Jews as punning just because Liel and Stephanie do. But Jews, I I like a clever wit. I expect a good pun if you're going to... Like it's like when you get bar mitzvah, you get the pun lessons. Anna, keep up the good work. Together, together you and I, we'll we'll, we'll make some great science. (laughs) 
Oh, Lordy. Um, I'll talk. You do the discovery. You know, <laughs> well, there's there's nothing we can't achieve. Dear Stephanie, Mark, and Liel, <clears throat> last week my worlds collided. Five and a half hours into my road trip from Wisconsin to New York, I was listening to the Bagel Show. How fortuitous that during your interview with Jeff Hardman, co-founder of the Cleveland Bagel Company, road signs for Cleveland began to appear. Ah. Oh. As any good bagel eating Seinfeld watching Pesach desecrating Jew would do, I punched in Cleveland Bagel to my GPS and made what turned out to be an unbelievably delicious detour. Wow. I arrived just minutes before closing time, dutifully credited that Jewish podcast with their referral and indulged in a sampling of plain and sesame bagelim with plain and chorizo chipotle schmear. It's actually chorizo, but you don't eat it, so you don't know how to pronounce it. (laughs) And it's delicious. It's delish. Absolutely exquisite. As a brand new New Yorker, I know it's a bit sacrilegious to say this, but Brooklyn has its work cut out. Anyway, keep up the great work. And if you ever need a fill-in Jewish guest of the week, I'm just up the road in Midtown. Your loyal listener, Jake Velleman, who sent a photo of himself holding up the bagels from the Cleveland. That's amazing. I think we need need Jacob in here for you. We may need Jake in here. Um, Hi, Mark. I'm a mainline Protestant who listens weekly. Um, I'm writing in response to your assertion that the spiritual, the Christian spiritual guide, My Utmost for His Highest, isn't a good devotional book. I've enjoyed it through the years, but I'm open to new ideas. What would you recommend in its stead? Thanks very much, Suzanne Ironman. So we each, get, we each recommend a spiritual book for – I want to recommend – I think we agree. The, the Mishnaic tract, Pirkei Avot, Chapters of the Fathers. Absolutely. Oh, I have – this is ARC.com. <laughs> this is ARC.com. ARC with a Q. I will um, also say uh, to those of you who, who care about those things uh, that – there is a minhag, a tradition, to read a chapter of Pekervos uh, every week between Passover and Shavuot. So uh, go get get yourself a nice little edition. Uh, there are many, many of them. And spend some time. Get your, get your perk on. They're really, really wise and insightful. And they're, you know, short and, and contain multitudes. Um, and a final letter. It's from Alyssa. Do you want to come? Do you want to come talk about Ashkenazi pronunciation? Yeah. Okay. Um and a final letter, it's like it's like inside the office, it's like inter-office memo, yes. uh, is from our producer, Alyssa Goldstein, who sent us a letter about last week's discussion of Zissen Pesach, Hag Sameach. You know you've done messed up. Yeah. We you got get the email from your coworker. Taken to task. We got the, if we had- She didn't just pop over the cubicle. She yeah. What's that new app, Slack? Or what's the one where you can all, the whole Slack. office can be- yeah. It's not yeah. that very new. No. Yeah. I know that the way I know Reddit. I want to Alyssa, get on Slack. what was it you sent us on plain old email? You want to talk to us about your, oh, your gosh, issue? It's funny. I don't have my phone or my email with me now, so I feel- um, You never have a problem just talking just without riffing. a text. Um, oh, well, you know, I've been thinking about it all week, and then for a bunch of reasons last night, I was just feeling like very nostalgic and thinking about the past and my childhood. If you follow me on Instagram, I was Instagramming about it, and I just felt like- Sometimes conversation about vernacular and practice is is a bit like American centric, which on on orthodox, which also makes sense. You're American. We're in America. We have a predominantly American audience, although obviously we have many people who are not. And and I just was like, I found the conversation to just not be reflective of my experience about, so at all. So how is it different so in Australia? About it. Um, so in Australia, particularly for people of – we're like – people of my generation are closer to people of like baby boomer generation in the United States, I think, in terms of how we identify religiously and culturally because we're maybe like a generation closer to the shtetl. So Ashkenazi pronunciation is the default in like – 
family. You still say Shabbos. You say Shabbos. You say Shavuos. Everything. And at school, like if you go to a Jewish day school, you're learning modern Hebrew. So that tends to be the vernacular in like modern Orthodox or non-ultra-Orthodox Jewish schools. So I can as I can code switch. I know both, but um, yeah, for me it's just totally native to and say. And your grandpa used to say, "Is this in Pesach?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my dad does, and you know, my late aunt did, and that's how I converse. That's awesome. That's how I talk with my dad. Like in a lot of ways, that's like the language of my family. And he's all like, "Get us in." Yeah, yeah. Like when I leave when I leave the airport, it's like a Yiddish greeting, like you know, "Get us in" and "Kim in," and when I. See my parents when I get home. We always greet each other with like the Yiddish pronunciation of Shulam Aleichem. I went to Yiddish Sunday school. It's amazing. Yiddish so, Sunday school? Yeah. That's Melbourne, amazing. Melbourne, Australia has a Yiddish elementary school. There's a day school and they also have a Sunday school. So there are like in a couple of diaspora communities, like a generation of millennials okay. for whom that is their their default. And they're not just doing it to be trendy like Mark says. No. No, no I don't. Or <laughs> that was Liel who said that. Liel said they do it to be anti-Zionist. Well, well the other thing that I would just... I, I try to talk like my that's, grandpa. That's true. The other thing that I would just add is that there's always been a political clash and tension between modern Hebrew and Yiddish, mm-hmm. and it's always been political, and people have been doing this for literally like 200 years. And so guess who's winning? <laughs> if you have enough guns, you win, right? That's I mean, <laughs> thanks, Hitler. Thanks, yeah. right, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Hitler. You gave us modern Hebrew. Mazel tovs? I'll give. I'm giving mine to Alyssa. Yeah, Aww. Alyssa, do you have a mazel tov? Oh, yes, I do. I saw Indecent, speaking of Yiddish, the Paula Vogel play about Sholem Asher's God of Vengeance or God von Nukuma, and it is so good. If you live in New York and you have the opportunity to go, go see it. Stephanie? Oh, I got a mazel tov to my little baby cousin. I guess she's my second cousin once removed, but she's getting baptized this weekend at the Greek Orthodox Church, and I'm excited. I've never been to a baptism before. So not only is your bestie, Irene, Greek, but you have Greeks in my, the mishpocha. Yes, yes. I freaking love Greeks so much. I love Greeks, too. And my brother my brother uh, in college, like, two of his closest friends were Greeks, and they were, like, Jews, but it's, Greeks. Yeah, it's sort of like a ta- like it's, for yeah. Yeah. some historical inconveniences. <laughs> my mazel tov, I'll, t- I'll take a quick one back, is to Stephanie Butnik. Thanks, guys. It's been... <laughs> Tell me we, more. We celebrate you. Every day, but especially... Especially today. the week of... In Jewish tradition, the week of your bridal shower yes. is the week when you are at peak yourself. <laughs> My Mazel Tov, I'm going to give to um, a couple listeners. Melanie Suswine had a birthday. Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. Yes. And uh, Zippy Turner's family. Lots of Simchas. Her twins, Gabby and Rafi, uh, celebrated their 18th birthday. Their sister... Gabby and wow. Rafi are 18? They're 18. Can you believe guys. it? We should have them and call back. And their, oh, sister, yeah. their sister, Sarah, uh, is serving, who's in the Israeli Air oh, Force, yeah. just celebrated her 21st birthday. Look and at that. Her parents are so proud. Turners. They're so the Turners, they're from Phoenix, right? Aren't the they? they Turners. I've actually been it. like learning more about the Phoenix Jewish community. I love them. Yeah. yeah. I think they're from Phoenix. So we've yeah, heard are, from yeah, Zippy yeah. for a while. Yeah. Um anyway, Mazel Tov to all of them. Also, um a really important Mazel Tov to um to Stephanie. Oh my because God, thank it's you. it's the week of her bridal shower, the week when her skin clears, her mind clears, and yes. her check clears. And uh you know, I think the whole Am Yisrael celebrates you this Thank you. Week. It's about time. <laughs> Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Our show is edited by Noah Levinson and produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Talushkin. Rabbinic supervision by Rabbi Josh Bagelson. Kosher slaughtering by Marine Le Pen. Find Tablet Magazine <laughs> on Facebook and on Twitter. We're at Tablet Mag. Our music is by Golem, and we record in Argo Studios, which as of this hour is in danger of a government shutdown. We're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends. <laughs> <laughs>